This week, Kincaid Fire casts doubt on viability of PG&E competing plans. Murray Energy files for Chapter 11. Community Health rolls out proposed exchange offer. More on all this and, as always, updates from Puerto Rico. Welcome to the Week in Reorg. Hello, and welcome to the Reorg podcast, where we bring you the latest top developments in high yield, distressed debt, and bankruptcy. I'm Connor Skelding, reporter for Reorg in New York. And I'm legal analyst Alex Brosman. Later this episode, the Reorg team reviews third quarter earnings that have been reported so far, with particular attention paid to the ones that have received heavy interest from our subscribers. It's Sunday, November 3rd. Bonds and stock of PG&E experienced significant volatility following the outbreak of the Kincaid fire and after the company disclosed the presence of a potentially broken transmission tower jumper in the area of the fire's origin in Sonoma County. In addition to pushing back the timing of the process as potential new claims are estimated and responsibility determined, the onset of the Kincaid fire presents a number of critical issues to the extent the company is deemed responsible for ignition. These include the possible effects of new claims on the competing plans as currently drafted, the determination of how post-petition wildfire claims might be treated, and how AB 1054 affects the company's liability for claims while it remains in Chapter 11. Citing the, quote, staggering costs multiplying daily and the, quote, very recent events that need not be repeated here, but are obvious to everyone in Northern California, Judge Dennis Montali on Tuesday issued an order appointing retired bankruptcy judge Randall Newsom, no relation to the governor, as mediator in the PG&E bankruptcy cases. Along with the order, Judge Montali directed parties to, quote, make a good faith effort to mediate whatever issues can be identified, while noting that certain of those parties, quote, are polarized. Should the mediator decide to recommend the appointment of, quote, one or more additional mediators with the, quote, requisite experience, he should do so on, quote, an expedited basis, Judge Montali added. Judge Montali also set a final briefing schedule this week for several important issues, including the validity and implication of the California Doctrine of Inverse Condemnation, the proper rate for the calculation of post-petition interests on claims, and whether settled subrogation claims are, quote, impaired under the competing plan proposals. Hearings are set to begin on November 19th with a hearing on inverse condemnation and end with a January 14th hearing on impairment and make-all questions with additional hearings in between. Decisions on these issues will not be, quote, final for purposes of immediate appeal as of right, Montelli added, but he may certify the decisions for discretionary interlocutory appeal as it, quote, would appear the most appropriate course here. Elsewhere, FEMA filed proofs of claims for each of the Butte, North Bay, and Camp fires, outlining amounts of $160.6 million, $1.228 billion, and $2.552 billion, respectively, for a total of $3.94 billion. Claims fall under the categories of public assistance, individual assistance, and administrative costs. Ohio-based coal mining company Murray Energy filed for Chapter 11 bankruptcy protection in the Southern District of Ohio on Tuesday. The company, which was led by CEO and founder Robert Murray until his replacement on Monday by CFO Robert Moore, attributed its financial woes to, quote, rapidly deteriorating industry conditions in coal markets both internationally and domestically. Reporting $2.7 billion in funded debt and over $8 billion in, quote, actual or potential legacy liability obligations stemming from pension and benefit plans, the company described its liabilities as, quote, too heavy a burden to sustain under current industry conditions. 
Along with the filing, debtors revealed their entrance into an RSA with an ad hoc group of lenders holding more than 60% of the approximately $1.7 billion in claims under the company's super priority credit and guarantee agreement, as well as, quote, consenting equity holders, including Robert Murray, other Murray family members, and a trust which collectively hold 100% of both of the company's share classes. The RSA and accompanying term sheet contemplate a sale of substantially all assets supported by a stocking horse credit bid from the super priority term loan lenders to be completed either by a 363 sale or under the Chapter 11 plan process. Debtors also sought a $440 million dip facility to fund the cases, composed of a $350 million new money dual draw dip term loan and a $90 million dip philo loan to be backed up by the ad hoc group of super priority lenders and open pro rata to any super priority term loan lender that signed the RSA prior to October 31st. At the first day hearing on Wednesday, Judge John Hoffman overruled the sole remaining objection to the interim funding filed by Black Diamond, stating that the court was not willing to play a game of, quote, call the bluff that modifying specific dip provisions would entail. The court noted that although the dip is a, quote, very rich deal in terms of fees and interest rates, it is a loan to a company with liquidity issues in a, quote, troubled industry at a, quote, difficult time. Judge Hoffman further noted that this approval should not be misconstrued as indicating his support for the rest of the RSA. The stocking horse credit bid would include an option to assume the debtor's agreements with Foresight Energy, and the RSA parties have agreed to negotiate in good faith, quote, regarding any restructuring related to Foresight, and not to support any restructuring, renegotiation, or disposition of any of Foresight's interests without the prior consent of the requisite consenting super priority lenders. Foresight Energy separately received consents from holders of a majority of its second lien note holders to extend the grace period for the missed coupon payment and amend certain defaults under its second lien indenture. Now for a quick run through of companies that have been mentioned to us by some of our subscribers who are either currently working on fixing their capital structures or might in the future address them in some potential restructuring. Frontier Communications creditor Discovery Capital Management sent the board a letter advocating for a, quote, expedited Chapter 11. Excella Technologies disclosed that discussions with a, quote, internationally recognized private equity firm had been terminated. And the next day, the company said that three board members, two of which are Apollo representatives, had resigned. Community Health announced an exchange offer for its 2022 notes to exchange into a combination of up to $700 million in new secured notes due 2027, with the remaining amount into new unsecured notes due 2028. Hovnanian announced that it had completed a series of refinancing transactions that extended maturities for over $700 million of its debt. Key Energy reported that it had hired Molis and Sullivan and Cromwell to assist in analyzing strategic alternatives to address its capital structure. That was after skipping a term loan interest payment due October 18th and entering into a forbearance agreement with the company's lenders. Earnings results also brought some interesting commentary on how companies are thinking about addressing their upcoming maturities, particularly from energy companies. Antero Resources said that it would be patient in addressing its 2021 and 22 maturities, and that it would be willing to buy back bonds and stock opportunistically. Valaris said that it could use secured debt to address its capital structure, but would not, quote, rush off to execute a financing. 
Reorg also summarized recent commentary from other service provider earning reports as they relate to the onshore ENP industry highlighting the ongoing equipment junking, which operators hope will lead to price stabilization. And Gulfport said the market has presented the company, quote, with a unique opportunity to reduce debt at, quote, attractive prices. In addition, management noted that it believes its liquidity is strong enough to be able to use to retire notes at a discount, which would allow the company to improve cash flow, quote, chip away at its outstanding debt, and capture a discount that would be accretive to equity. On the island of Puerto Rico, Judge Laura Taylor Swain on Monday entered an order granting the urgent motion of the Permissa Oversight Board and AFAF seeking to extend the court-ordered stay and the mandatory mediation. Judge Swain granted the extension through December 31st for all matters subject to the court's stay order and overruled the objections filed by monoline insurers Assured Guarantee, AMBAC, FIGIC, and National, along with certain Invesco funds in doing so. Wednesday was the deadline to file objections to the settlement proposed under the PREPA RSA, prompting an uptick in docket activity for the Title III debtor. A host of parties, including the official committee of unsecured creditors, fuel line lender parties Cortland Capital and Solus, and several members of the U.S. House National Resources Committee, voiced their opposition to the Rule 9019 motion, which is seeking the approval of the settlement. The objections criticized several aspects of the PREPA RSA, including the proposed recoveries to bondholders, the long-term impact on PREPA, and how the settlements contained in the RSA would impact other PREPA creditors. The UCC filed a lengthy objection, criticizing the settlement as, quote, yet another bad deal that PREPA, long plagued by a history of mismanagement and irresponsible fiscal policy, erroneously believes will finally solve its financial problems. Raising a host of challenges to the settlements, the UCC warns that the RSA provides a disproportionate windfall to supporting holders, while PREPA receives minimal benefit that is largely based on purportedly illusory non-economic consideration. According to the UCC, the supporting bondholders would receive recoveries of, quote, approximately 86% of the face amount of their claims and, under certain conditions, even greater than 90%, which, in nominal dollars, results in payment of over $20 billion to the supporting holders over the next several decades. The fuel line lender parties warned in their objection that they will, quote, be severely prejudiced by the RSA, explaining that the RSA would not only subvert the priority schemes set out in the trust agreement governing PREPA's bonds, but also prematurely release the fuel line lender party's objections to the bondholders' claims and liens. Similar to the UCC, the fuel line lenders also raised concerns that the proposed settlement would, quote, vastly expand the rights of the bondholders compared with what they bargained for and what they had on the petition date. Congressional members of the U.S. House Natural Resources Committee, including Chairman Representative Raul Grijalva, argued in a proposed amicus brief that the RSA is not feasible and, if approved, could keep PREPA in Title III indefinitely. The amicus brief also contends that approval of the RSA will, quote, automatically cause a slowdown in the economy and warns that the proposed debt reduction is not enough to keep PREPA from defaulting again in the near future. On Thursday, the government parties and anticipated objectors to the RSA filed a request seeking to modify certain dates and deadlines related to the PREPA 9019 motion. On Friday, Judge Swain granted that motion and pushed the hearing on the 9019 motion to January 14, 2020. 
disapproval of the PREPA RSA also played out on island this week as the private sector coalition published an open letter to Governor Wanda Vasquez criticizing the PREPA RSA, including a proposed transition charge that would back exchange bonds issued in connection with the proposed PREPA restructuring. The private sector coalition said terms in the RSA and the utilities fiscal plan as certified by the oversight board run counter to Puerto Rico's economic development. Both the Puerto Rico House and Senate also took legislative action this week to address an energy efficiency charge adopted by the Puerto Rico Energy Bureau. Other top stories last week were Exila Technologies discloses resignation of three board members, including two Apollo representatives. Oxif amended complaint details $2.3 billion in inflated profits from Teva price hike strategy targeted by Connecticut AG and private plaintiffs in Pennsylvania MDL. Bumblebee replaces legal advisor with Paul Weiss after bringing on independent board members. Here today to pinch hit on the week ahead is Karen Lung, legal analyst. Welcome to the first full week of November. The first days after Halloween are scaring us this week with a flood of earnings releases and calls. But first, turning to the courtroom. Monday, November 4th, will bring us another status conference in PG&E's wildfire claims estimation proceedings in the district court. Monday is also the first day of the plan confirmation hearing for Emerge Energy, which is also slated to continue on Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. As for earnings action on Monday, we'll be listening to third quarter earnings calls for California Resources and Bosch Health. Hertz will also report results after the close. Tuesday, November 5th, we'll turn our eyes to the Delaware Bankruptcy Court for South Cross Energy's disclosure statement hearing. The debtors recently pivoted to a reorganization around their gathering and processing assets after receiving no qualified bids in the course of a sale process. We'll also tune in for an omnibus hearing in the Forever 21 cases. And, of course, more earnings today with conference calls for Endo International, Deneas Corporation, Hertz, Malincrod, Chesapeake Energy, LTS USA, Frontier Communications, Weight Watchers, and Caesars. Heading to Hump Day Wednesday, we'll be monitoring the plan confirmation hearing for Legacy Reserves in Houston, where we're expecting a valuation fight between the debtors and the Unsecured Creditors Committee. Purdue Pharma and Philadelphia Energy Solutions are also headed back to court for omnibus hearings. Q3 earnings calls today include those for Clearway Energy and Clear Channel Outdoor Holdings. Thursday, November 7th, also promises to be a busy day in court with a combined disclosure statement and confirmation hearing for Sheridan Holding, a second day hearing in the EP Energy cases, and a final cash collateral hearing for Alta Mesa Resources. We'll be listening to earnings calls for Teva Pharmaceuticals, Adiant Global Holdings, iHeartMedia, LSC Communications, Reality, Scorpio Tankers, Comstock Resources, Danbury Resources, Ultra Petroleum, and Unity Group. Windstream will release results in the morning and then provide pre-recorded remarks today. And closing out this busy week, Friday, November 8th, brings us a disclosure statement hearing for Insys Therapeutics. The court will also hear a motion to convert the Insys Chapter 11 cases to Chapter 7, filed by the opioid MDL plaintiffs. For PG&E, there's also a case management conference in state court relating to the Tubbs fire. And not to worry, folks, 
Jim Holloway will be back next week. Thanks, Karen. And now here's a review of third quarter earnings thus far that have received significant interest from subscribers. Thank you. So with us now in the middle of earnings season, I thought it would be good to provide a live commentary on developments in one of the more volatile sectors and one which subscribers appear to be keenly focused on, and that's energy. So in this segment, I'll take you through comments made by companies on recent calls, which hopefully will provide a picture as to what's currently happening. Uh, So let's get started. Volatility uh, really continues to show in the energy markets. Uh, Last week, Reorg, we reviewed comments from some of the large multinational service companies, including including Schlumberger, Halliburton, RPC, and Patterson UTI, with a particular focus on what they had to say about the U.S. Uh, according to them, recent demands and capitulation by EMPs for, uh, for those EMPs to spend within cash flow has led to operational weakness for the service companies, particularly as it relates to business in the U.S., Schlumberger said, uh, their CEO said, North American land growth was, quote, minimal with lower pricing and increased gaps in the frat calendar, while land drilling was uh, essentially flat. Uh, What they said is, uh, quote, our approach to North America land is under evaluation for both the medium and the long term. We are already scaling to fit the one stem business and we will be stacking fleets as the market contracts during the fourth quarter. At the same time, a strategic review of this market is well underway and will be completed during the fourth quarter for execution early next year. Turning to Halliburton, uh, they said, and they actually talked a little bit more about the industry and what some of the competitors are doing uh, in terms of uh, capacity. They had said, we are stacking equipment in the third quarter. We stack more equipment than we did in the first six months of the year. While this impacts our revenues, we would rather err on the side of stacking than work for inefficient, insufficient margins and wear out our equipment. We're reducing cost. You've seen us do this before. We took out a billion dollars in 2016. We reorganized and reduced our fixed costs in North America earlier this year. We continue to evaluate the way we work and we'll keep reducing costs in our North American operations. And then in terms of um, talking about the industry, uh, they said that a key trend the company is watching um, is attrition. Quote, given demand deceleration, the service industry has adjusted accordingly and cut capital spend this year. There were hardly any new equipment additions and maintenance spending has been severely curtailed. All the while, service intensity showed no signs of slowing down. Multi-well pad uh, penetration continued, lateral length kept growing, and prop end loading increased further. The direct result of higher service intensity, especially in terms of hours pumped per day, is the increase in maintenance frequency. This should accelerate the long-awaited equipment attrition from the market, both voluntary through stacking and involuntary. As I said at the beginning of the year, and this is Halliburton um, continuing to, to, to talk, um, as I said at the beginning of the year, there would be less horsepower available in the market at the end of the year than there was in January. We can now see this happening as service companies are cannibalizing stacked equipment for parts rather than paying for replacement components due to budget constraints. We expect attrition to continue into 2020. RPC added, uh, quote, fourth quarter is very, very difficult to predict. All things equal, obviously, we would expect revenue to come down. We are in the process of moving from 16 to 9 fleets. We're not all the way there at this point, but are getting there. So as we get to the end of 2019, we expect to be at 9. And as I expressed in my comments, we'll be more or less than that as conditions uh, change. So how this affects uh, pricing in the service uh, space, and and we'll get into the EMPs um, shortly, but uh, sticking with the services, uh, they... um, 
RPC said, pricing in all our service lines has not continued to fall precipitously, so it's been more of a utilization sort of play. I'm hopeful that the industry, and it appears that maybe we've reached a point where people aren't going to be able to continue to drive pricing down, and we don't want to continue to contribute to that sense in the industry. So we're going to try to become a little bit more disciplined in that regard and try to make sure we're getting our utilization up and make sure that our performance is at least reasonable and that's a work in process. Discussing the reasons perhaps why EMP budgets have been tight, RPC noted, the debt equity, private equity markets don't seem to be open for our customers right now. They're in some cases doing some creative financing. Uh, so we're actually looking a lot at their financial capabilities and $55 oil ought to be okay, but we're interested in their capital constraints. So we don't have a lot of visibility right now is probably the best answer. Uh, last week um, on service company um, potential restructurings, last week Key Energy uh, reported that it hired Molis and Sullivan and Cromwell um, and to quote, to assist the company in analyzing various strategic alternatives to address its capital structure and to position the company for future success. Um, according to the release, um, the advisor engagements come after the company opted to skip a term loan interest payment due October 18th, which quote resulted in a default under the term loan agreement and across default under the loan and security agreement, uh, which governs keys ABL. Uh, further, on October 29th, the company entered into a forbearance agreement with term lenders, collectively holding over 99.5% of the principal amount of the outstanding term loans and all of the ABL lenders, according to the release. Under the agreement, the lenders agreed to forbear until the earlier of December 6th and certain termination events from exercising any default related rights and remedies related to the default under the term loan agreement and cross default under the ABL agreement due to the failure to make the October 18th interest payment. Quote, uh, the company is in active discussions with the lenders regarding the company's capital structure and the potential to reduce its debt level in light of challenging market conditions. Um, up this week, uh, Reorg, we will be looking um, out for and uh, following Superior Energy, which is also set to report um, this week. So now let's shift over to the EMPs. Last week, uh, Gulfport Energy and Antero Resources, both natural gas companies focused in the Utica, uh, gave they both gave very different views on capital spending. Uh, Gulfport seemed to prioritize debt repurchases over spending on production. Management said the market has presented the company, quote, with a unique opportunity to reduce debt at attractive prices. In addition, management noted that it believes its liquidity is strong enough to be able to use to, use to retire notes at a discount, which would allow the company to improve cash flow, quote, chip away at its outstanding debt and capture a discount that would be accretive to equity. On the production side, Gulfport uh, said that it has not yet finalized its 2020 drilling and completion capital budget, but did say it was focusing on returns and operating within cash flow. According to management, the company is building a plan that would lead to cash flow neutral for natural gas prices at $2.60, and if prices fall below, it would adjust capital spending. When asked if that could mean production falls in 2020, management said it, quote, wouldn't be surprised if next year was down a bit from where we are. Management said the capital spending needed to maintain production is, quote, something like $500 million and a little less. For 2019, the company maintains its target of capital spending of 565 to 600. So if they're going to maintain production um, or even um, if production were to decline, that would imply um, uh, 500 and lower um, in CapEx. But we'll see what they have to say. 
Uh, going forward, the company said that expects natural gas prices will range from $2.60 to $2.90 and expects to generate cash flow in that range. And Terra Resources, on the other hand, plans to continue outspending cash flow and capital spending. For 2020, the company expects total capital of $1.2 billion to $1.25 billion and annual production growth of 8 to 10%. Company expects to spend about 100 million to 150 million in excess of cash flow. And Tarot, though, is in somewhat of a unique position um, because it, it is trying to grow into previously contracted transportation commitments. The company produces about, or will produce this year, about 3.2 BCF um, on average for uh, per day. But its commitments for 4.6 BCF per day, uh, though falling to 4.1 BCF per day by 2023. The company hopes to fill all of its non-regional delivery commitments by the fourth quarter of 2021. One very interesting dynamic to watch uh, play out with uh, Entero is uh, the interaction between uh, resources and its midstream affiliate uh, named Entero Midstream. On the call, someone asked what the probability is that resources in midstream renegotiate contracts, to which midstream management replied that this, that, that is, quote, one of many discussions we're having. The companies need to think about the, quote, overall uh, Entero family, um, management added, and that historically, if the companies leave the contracts in their current form, it is, quote, tough overall for AR, meaning Entero resources, then um, and uh, there is a flow through negativity to uh, midstream as well. So there is room for something to happen there. Related, um, one way that resources has been able to save costs has been to reduce delivered water that midstream supplies and said um, for it to pump back and flow back water. Uh, additionally, resources have turned to drier wells using less water. And in the company, um, the uh, the family, they shut, um, the, the Ontario resources family, midstream and, and resources, they shut down at the clear water facility. So that's an update on uh, energy, uh, taking you through the uh, the vertical, uh, both on the services side and uh, their customers on the EMP side. Hope that was helpful. And um, HQ, back to you. Thanks, Mark. And thank you, listener, for tuning in to another Reorg Weekly Review. As always, find all of our podcasts on the Reorg site media page or iTunes and SoundCloud. This has been The Week in Reorg, and I'm Connor Skelting.